0: Everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, June 6th, 2021. Welcome to the Way Radio Live, the Way Ministry Live. I'm excited about today's message. We're moving into some of the uh, very fringe topics that I mentioned uh, off and on over the last couple of months. And today is moving us further into that. This is part of the coming storm. Series of sermons, and the name of the sermon today is You Must Stay Awake. Uh, One thing you may have noticed is we have a new logo for the Way Ministry, just says the Way R122 Ministry. And I wanted to explain that we are still very much engaged in our work in Kenya, uh, the Way Ministry Church Kenya. Like I said, we've moved our headquarters there from Kisi to Nairobi out of my friend. Patrick's location. Um but what I was trying to do is simplify uh the ministry a little bit. And we had a logo for um the way R122, we had one for the Way Ministry Church USA in Kenya, we had one for the Way Radio and for Recovery Reformation. So uh what I've tried to do is just streamline things a bit and simplify um because we all everything is part of the way R122 ministry so that's why you'll be seeing the new logo and it really is just an effort to try to clarify that everything is done under that one umbrella so that helps explain that so let's get into today's message and we will do so by beginning with a moment of prayer let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much that we're able to Uh, gather here at a distance online uh, to learn of you, to delve into your word, and to seek the truth that is only found in you and through your message of the gospel. And Lord, especially during these times, I ask that you would strengthen, edify us, that you would bless us with clarity, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of your word and your will, and that we would grow closer to you during these times, and we just thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So the title of the message: You must stay awake, and it is based on Mark one thirty-seven. And what I say to you, I say to all: Stay awake. And I want to preface it with a couple of questions. What does it mean to be awake in the context of Mark thirteen thirty-seven, the verse that I just quoted? What, how does a believer stay awake? How might someone be lulled to sleep? And in these times, it is vitally important that believers be awake, aware, and alert. So I'm going to address each of those questions or points as we go through the sermon today, one by one. So the first one, what does it mean to be awake in the context of Mark 13, 37? And obviously, in order for us to understand the context, we need to look at more of the scriptures surrounding that verse. So if you've got your Bible or you want to follow along on the screen, let's look at this. It's a, it's a big part, portion of scripture, so it's pretty much filling the whole subscreen that we have there. And actually, what I'll do is make that a bit larger for this one so you can see it more clearly. Mark 13, we're going to look at verses 24 through 37. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. or when the rooster crows are in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So obviously the context of that verse that we're looking at, verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, is Christ answering the questions of his disciples regarding when will he return, when will be the end of the age, and what will be the signs that will signify that the end of the age is drawing near, or that his return is drawing near. And that's why he said, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. I believe that during the times in which we are living right now, that is one of the most important commands that we can heed and pay attention to. What does it mean for us as Christian believers, as followers of Christ, to stay awake, to be awake? It's a very very important thing for us to consider. And you'll notice that Christ says, uh, you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning lest he comes suddenly and find you asleep. When the Lord returns, we do not want to be found sitting on the sidelines slumbering, not paying attention to what's going around us and and not being involved in that cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've always said that when the Lord comes, I hope he finds me on the battlefield sweating, maybe a little bit bloody, and working hard in the cause of the gospel message. This is one of the reasons that I adhere very strongly to a post-tribulation return of Christ, because what I've seen happen is those that that try to believe in that uh, theory that Christ is going to rapture his church. Then there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation, and then Christ is going to return again for the rest of his church beyond having A lot of problems trying to make that fit to many portions of Scripture all through the Old Testament and the New Testament is it leads to a sense of complacency quite often where Christians will think, well, I'm so glad the Lord's going to take us before it gets really bad. That's automatically sort of falling asleep in a way and disengaging from the work that we are to be engaged in. And that's another topic that we'll get into more later. But the main point that I wanted to make is Christ is saying that some very crazy things are going to be happening, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And he says this will happen after the tribulation of that time. So we will see things happening in nature, in creation, that are absolutely mind-blowing, and for those outside of Christ, will be horrifying. And we are not to be asleep in the sense that we don't understand what's happening, but we understand very clearly because we are awake because we are in Christ. So that next question, how might someone be lulled to sleep? And like I said, remember, this is part of that coming storm series of sermons. And this is where we're going to start getting into some very, what I call fringe topics or things that many people may have not paid attention to, even if you've been been a Christian for many, many years. But I think there are things that we need to start paying attention to during these times that we are living right now, because I believe we're going to see some very strange things taking place uh, upon the earth. So how might someone be lulled to sleep? during these times. First of all, Satan's lies and manipulations are designed to lull the unwary to sleep. Satan wants to fool people into getting them into a place of complacency, apathy, sleepiness, where they're just not paying attention to what's going on around them. They're just not aware of what is happening, and they're just sort of following along following the the crowd mindlessly like a sheep being led to slaughter. And we've seen that so much in the last year or so. The sleeping do not think. The sleeping do not care. The last year or so is one of the clearest examples we have of the mass of humanity being asleep as they move through their existence without thinking. Think of how many people have just gone along with the covid-19 narrative over the last year or so without any critical thinking about why they're doing what they're doing they're simply turning on the mainstream news listening to what they're told believing it and reacting according to what they are told to believe without even taking a second to think is this actually true is this actually what's happening happening and taking place They're just following along. And that's the majority, the the mindset of the majority now. I want you to consider this. If you're in America, you realize that over the last year, and and in this series of sermons, as we go forward, we're going to address much more. Uh, We're going to be addressing current events much more. And we're going to be diving into things uh, to help open our eyes to how what we see happening in the world, the current events that are taking place around us, how to view them from a Christian biblical perspective. So let's look at this guy, Dr. Fauci. Everybody in America knows who this guy is. He's been pushing masks and vaccines. He has been the voice for the mainstream narrative of the Corona hoax, or COVID hoax since the beginning. Fauci is being exposed, and we see this especially during the last week, as a fraud and a liar. His emails have been leaked out, and now we can see what he has really uh, believed and been telling people and been involved with for years. And really, I'm not being harsh when I say that. If you look at his emails, and I've taken some time to study the things that they expose, he is being exposed as a fraud and a liar. But will he pay for his crimes? Because if they can prove what these emails prove, he can be charged criminally. But will that happen? Will he be exposed for his crimes? Probably not, because the narrative will continue to be manipulated and controlled according to the agenda that it serves. I think the only way that he will pay a price for the things that he has done over the last year and a half is if is, is if they decide to somehow put him up um, as a sacrifice, you know, to sort of placate people who become very angry when they realize how much of the last year and a half has has happened because of lies. Our economy being devastated, people uh, dying because of what's happened in third world countries, poverty increasing radically, starvation increasing all over the world because of lies. But here in America, so many people have suffered and there's been so much damage really because of false information. And Fauci is the one that has started much of that false information. I want you to look at some headlines here from the Epic Times. These are just uh, three headlines that I copied to share with you guys today. The first headline, The Epidemic Empire Strikes Back. Critics of China's Wuhan Lab Face Threats censorship, and smear campaigns. So what this is telling us is critics of China's Wuhan lab, those who have been questioning the official narrative and stating that this you know, virus that is, that is 99.7% survivable, it's made into something far worse than it is, but they are claiming that it did not occur in nature. It's something that was created in this lab. They are facing threats, censorship, and smear campaigns. Their careers are being threatened for simply questioning the official narrative. Headline number two, facts matter. Emails reveal Dr. Fauci's relationship with China funding of Wuhan lab. It's very easy to go online and discover that he's been involved with this lab in Wuhan for many years before 2020. There's photos of him there with Barack Obama, actually. So him and Obama and others have been very involved in this lab with the Chinese for a long time. Another one, Fauci's devastating emails demand full-blown investigation. It's not the first time the NIAID boss has controlled the narrative attacking dissenters. Now, I'm going to share a little bit from this article because this gives us an idea of how he has been working for many, many years. First of all, the article states that Fauci earned a... And ask yourself, did you ever take the time to look at this as he was controlling what was going on in America for the last year and a half? Fauci earned a medical degree in 1966, but his bio shows no advanced degrees in molecular biology or biochemistry. In 1984... Fauci became head of the NIAID and in that role contended that AIDS was caused by a virus known as HIV. Peter H. Doisberg, professor of molecular and cell biology at UC Berkeley, found no scientific evidence for that claim. As Doisbert explained in Inventing the AIDS Virus, a book he wrote, HIV is one of the many harmless passenger viruses that cause no cl- clinical symptoms during the acute infection, and he was hardly alone. Scientists challenging the HIV-AIDS hypothesis included Nobel laureate Kerry Mullis, Charles Thomas, former professor of microbiology at Harvard University, and biologist and science historian Robert Root Bernstein, author of Rethinking AIDS. Unable to refute Doisberg scientifically, Fauci did his best to cancel the distinguished medical scientist. He did the same thing with Dr. Judy Mikevitz, who called him out in the 80s when they were working on trying to battle the AIDS virus, and she and her colleagues had actually found a way to to combat it and found a treatment for it. Her work was stifled by Fauci so that he could continue on the work he was doing, which he ended up profiting from. But in the meantime, how many people died while something that could have stopped that was already in place? through Judy Mikevitz and the people she worked with. So he, he tried to cancel her as well. And I've seen many testimonies from her about that. So this is the kind of guy this man is. But think about it. He has a, just a normal medical degree that he received in 1966. And he was going against scientists, one of them who was a Nobel laureate, another one who is a former professor of microbiology at Harvard University, and a biology and science historian um, who wrote the book Rethinking AIDS. Those three people. So I would think, based on their educations and their titles, that they were much more qualified to be dealing with what they were dealing with at that time, just like now. But what we see here, and yeah, I'm bashing on Fauci because I think he's caused much damage and many People have suffered needlessly because of what he has done. But what we see here is he is an expert not at microbiology, the things that he should be, but at politics, destroying those who question what he's doing and that are going to get in the way of what he's trying to accomplish according to the agenda that he's been brought on board with. So just think about that. Sleepwalkers, I'm continuing with the message now, move through the world like zombies, clueless as to what is really happening around them and to them. The vast majority of people who have followed along with the COVID narrative for the last year or so, even if you showed them the proof of all the things that I just shared with you, and that's just a sampling. I believe that if they actually are able to get the information from his emails out, we will see more and more evidence come forward sleepwalkers will continue to move through the world like zombies, not caring about what they're being told. They will continue to put on their masks, accept a vaccine without investigating it, and doing what they're told because they do not want to listen to anything contrary to what they think is truth. Mainstream news is designed to program through hypnosis and repetition. This is why television shows are called programs. They program you incrementally, over time to think the way that those in control and those with a very sinister agenda want you to think. If you repeat something enough times, the sleeping will believe it. Folks, we've seen that over and over. The mainstream news knows that if you just keep repeating something over and over, even if it's being proven false, and there are so many people dissenting against it and saying, this can't be true, we have evidence showing that this is false. They know that if they just keep saying it over and over, uh, repeating the story constantly on the news day in and day out, time and time again, the mass of humanity will eventually come to the conclusion that it must be true because they just continue to say it and that's what we have seen happening so much over the last year or so regardless of what the truth is most people will continue to believe what they have been programmed to believe in spite of proof to the contrary even if you show them what that what they believe is it contradicts the truth they will still cling to what they believe it's known as cognitive dissonance they become so uncomfortable with with their false reality being challenged that they will cling to it and reject the truth. This is why false religions trap people so successfully. This is what I was trapped in through the AA thing. When I went into the AA thing from addiction years ago, back in 1992, the first thing they do is they tell you that if you adhere to what we tell you, you totally sell yourself out to this program. You work these steps and do as you're told you will live and you will be sober. If you don't, you will most likely die. So they ground that in fear of death. And then as time goes on, even as you start seeing that what you're involved in is insane and mostly untrue, you still cling to it because you're afraid that the truth could kill you. So false religions... Are totally grounded in cognitive dissonance. and one reason I'm so familiar with it is because I was caught in it for so long. In these times, it is vitally important that believers be awake, aware, and alert. When I was waking up, I came to see more and more how far how far the modern church is from the biblical church and biblical Christianity. That's what helped drive me into ministry years ago, because as God put it on my heart and you he lit a fire in me to learn what truth is because I was so horrified at how I had been drawn into such lies through AA and the 12 steps and the false religions that it led me into. He, he, he used that to create such a passion in me to seek truth that I just absorbed his word constantly for years. But the thing that blew me away is the more I learned about the word and the Bible and scripture, and I studied church history, the more it became clear to me that the modern church is so far from what the biblical church is outlined to be and what biblical Christianity is. And that's what helped draw me into ministry because I wanted to do whatever I could to help change that and to get people back to what the truth is. That's the whole reason that the Protestant Reformation took place in the 1500s. Martin Luther saw how far what he was involved in was from the truth of biblical Christianity, from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wanted to change it. That's why he nailed his 95 Thesis to the church door in Württemberg, Germany, to try to reform the Roman Catholic Church. And when it wouldn't reform, they had to separate from it. It's that seeking for truth. As I learned, I also came to see with increasing clarity how corrupted this world and this country are and how deeply the majority of people have been lulled to sleep inside of a false manufactured reality. And folks, I, I just I'm begging you, if you're listening to these messages, whether it's on the on, on YouTube live or through the podcast, that you will have an open mind and you will consider the things I'm talking about because these things will be so important as we move into the coming weeks, months, and years. America is in the worst. Situation it's ever been in. And I'm not saying because of what we're dealing with economically. I'm not saying it's because we've got a president who isn't really even the president. He didn't win the election. He's an imposter. I'm talking about the fact that America is mostly a godless country and the church within it is probably 90% unsaved and unknowledgeable without any understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. America is in a, in a severely depraved situation right now. And the more I learn about it, just the darker it becomes. I want you to look at Luke 21, 34 through 36. Uh, let's pull this up here. There we go. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon you, upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. So he's telling us that these things will take place to everyone upon the earth, But those that are in Christ are blessed because we will have the strength and the understanding and the clarity and the wisdom and the knowledge to make sense of what is happening as everyone else is losing their minds and to actually be joyful and praising the Lord through it because we see his hand in control of everything that's taking place. So it will be an amazing time. Next question, how does a believer stay awake? This is a vitally important question during these times. How does a believer stay awake? Look at 2 Corinthians 4.18. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is Paul telling us that reality exists more in the unseen than it does in the seen. And he's telling us that the things that we don't see are eternal and lasting and permanent, but this physical realm that we exist on now is transient and is going to be gone at some point. So what that tells us is, if is we have got to be much more focused on the unseen spiritual realm than the physical realm that we are surrounded with right now. Christians must be more in the spiritual realm than in the physical realm. This is not escapism. This doesn't mean that we're trying to uh, engage in some kind of new age spiritualism where you're just escaping into some la-la fantasy land that doesn't exist. And we know that's very popular nowadays. Again, I got very into that mess when I was in the AA 12-step thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the true spiritual realm that we can only learn about through God's Word in Scripture. And we engage and we abide in that realm in Jesus Christ, Christ through prayer, and we gain strength and edification through it. The spiritual supernatural seems to be either ignored or made into a circus by the two ends of the spectrum in the modern church. And what I'm talking about there is uh, I'm basically a reformed pastor. I, I like the reformed tradition, but I don't even feel comfortable totally identifying with that. But I would say that on the more conservative evangelical reform side of things, things tend to be very dogmatic sometimes they almost have a clinical feel to them, and everything is very just focused on doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And you don't talk much about the spiritual unseen realm. That's a mistake. The other extreme of the mistake is what you see through the circus acts of like Bethel Church, the New Apostolic Reformation Movement, um, where the whole New Age movements come in, and you've got people claiming to be engaging in the spiritual realm where they're mostly really engaging in um, demonic activity, where you see people rolling around on the floor claiming to be drunk in the spirit, claiming to to yell uncontrollably in the spirit, to speak in uh, unintelligible tongues in the spirit. The whole charismatic movement is the other extreme of that. I don't believe either one of those are accurate or helpful. To stay awake is to see the world from a biblical Christ-like spiritual perspective and to see the spiritual unseen realm from a biblical Christ-like perspective. Let me ask you this, and this is where we're going to start getting into that really interesting fringe stuff that I love studying so much, but this has come to the forefront in the last couple of weeks, and it's something that's been building for a long time. How will you deal with the coming governmental disclosure of UFOs and alien beings? Folks, just in the last week, I've heard interviews of very high level government officials, military officials saying there are truly UFOs. We encounter them all the time. The next level of that will be they're going to be having some Senate hearings, Congress hearings, Um I don't know what that's going to accomplish. We've all seen that as soon as government gets involved with it, it all just becomes a convoluted mess. But how will you deal with with it when the coming government disclosure of UFOs and alien beings take place? Now, I do not call them alien life forms because they are not in Christ. John 8.12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." I believe these are uh, what you could call beings from the dark side, and we're going to delve into this more deeply in the coming weeks and months. But I do not like to call them alien life forms. I believe they are alien beings, and what they are, we will we will get into more in future messages. But the point I want to make here is a biblical understanding of UFOs in the unseen realm will help Christians during these times, and especially if things continue to grow more chaotic and spiritual events continue to increase. What do I mean by that? By that, I believe we are going to see, it's been happening for the last, uh, I, I, I don't know how long, say 10, 15, 20, 25 years, I, maybe th- since the 40s when um, the Roswell UFO, incident happened we see this this increase in UFOs we see this increase in strange beings being reported sightings of strange beings whether it's Bigfoot or in Texas something they call the dogman uh, these strange beings that the very reputable reputable people quite often will say that they have seen or interacted with uh, again UFOs being seen strange events taking place that's what I'm getting across as these things happen, what what I'm calling spiritual events, continue to increase, we we must have a biblical perspective to be able to decipher what we may be witnessing. And again, bear with me. Don't freak out and think Pastor Chad's gone off the deep end, because what we will delve into in the coming weeks and months is how these things are all addressed biblically in Scripture, and how those that wrote the Bible looked at these things in a much different way than we do. And they were much more familiar with these things. Let's look at Luke 21, 25 through 26. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That verse, I would have to say, has come to my mind two or three times a week for the last five or ten years. And like I said, I've studied these things for many, many years uh, just in my own personal studies because I wanted to find out more of what, what's happening, how is, it, how is the spiritual realm affecting the physical realm, but people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And I think that's what we're starting to see more of right now. Strange things coming on the world, the powers of the heavens being shaken. These are all signs that the time of the Lord's return could very well be drawing near. So we need to pay attention to these things and not just say, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. That's just wacko thinking. No, I believe these are things we have to pay close attention to. And honestly, folks, when you start delving into this stuff and studying it, it's absolutely fascinating in a very healthy, biblical, edifying sense. My own opinion, now that we know that we're very close to to the US government probably saying that UFOs are real, they've basically already done that. Who knows how deeply they'll get into it or what they'll try to say. My personal opinion, I feel that UFOs will be exploited and used for control and profit, the same as the global warming and the COVID hoaxes have been. They may also be used in attempts to undermine the message of the gospel and Christian doctrine. I think the second point there is a no brainer. It's obvious that Satan is in control of this world and he's using everything at his disposal on a mass scale, whether it's the internet mainstream news, newspapers, radio, whatever it is. He's using all those things to try to confuse the gospel, to compromise the gospel, to lead people astray. And I think the disclosure of UFOs and alien beings will be used, obviously, to do that. Maybe they'll say that these are saviors from outer space. They've come to help us because we're destroying the planet. We're destroying ourselves. They're going to help us reverse global warming, whatever it is. But if you look at the way, especially the American government does things, I believe that they could also be using it for control and profit, just like they've done with global warming and the whole COVID thing. I mean, global warming, the first thing they wanted to push was a global carbon tax, where you were going to be taxed for how much your carbon footprint was. If they would have got their, their dream through, you would have been taxed for how many airline miles you traveled a year, for how many miles you drove your car per year. If you were a rancher for how many cattle you had, because they claim that the gas from cattle, you know, increases global warming as well. So they wanted to tax everything based on this carbon footprint that each individual person produced and use that supposedly to combat global warming. We all know what happens in those situations. It goes to line someone's pockets. You see? Same thing with COVID. Take some time. Follow the money and see how many billions upon billions of dollars these drug companies have put in their pockets from the U.S. government and from governments all over the world to create these vaccines. It's, it's, a, it's probably one of the most egregious money schemes in the history of the world. I know the last one I read, I think it was Biden a few months ago, sent 700 million to one of the drug companies so they could make more vaccines. And the thing about that, if the vaccines kill people in America, they're protect, the companies that make the vaccines are protected against repercussions. You cannot sue them and they cannot be held liable for any damage caused by the vaccines. I've said those words so much that obviously I think this video will probably not make it on YouTube. So I'll I'll be sure to set up the new platform (laughs) in the next couple of days. But obviously they will use UFO disclosure, alien disclosure to do whatever they can to corrupt the message of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to really listen to what I'm going to share with you now, because this is something that's really blown me away in the last few months. We will see increasing evidence that what has been taught as history and what is forced on sleeping minds through academia in the mainstream media is false. However, the world will cling to the lies in spite of evidence to the contrary, as they have done for a very long time. So what we're seeing, if you study what's really happening in the world, and then you look at what's taught to people in public schools and then in in higher education, you realize that it's really not education anymore. It's brainwashing and uh, indoctrination into a system of thinking. That's what's taken place, but it's really blown me away when I look at some of the stuff that has been covered up historically because it goes against the worldly narrative, and it helps enforce the truth of the Christian message, but it goes against what academia believes in. I'm going to repeat that. We'll see increasing evidence that what has been taught as history and what is forced on sleeping minds through academia and the mainstream media is false. However, the world will cling to the lies in spite of evidence to the contrary, as they have done for a very long time. I'm just going to share one topic that makes my point here. Listen to what I'm saying with an open mind and consider that this may seem far out, but I'm going to use scripture to back up what I'm saying. Consider the topic of giants, both in the Bible and in history. Were giants real, or were they an exaggeration to make a point and increase the power or the poignancy of the stories that they were part of? So the main question is, giants are mentioned in the Bible. They're mentioned in history, most, mostly through what are, we know them through myths and things like that. Were they real? Let's look at 1 Samuel seventeen four, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines... A champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubics, six cubits, and a span. It's commonly thought that a cubit is about eight inches. So you figure he's six cubits times eighteen inches equals one hundred and eight inches. You divide that by twelve inches per foot. He's probably about nine feet tall. He's a big guy. Notice also that I, I believe. Uh, David picked up five stones in the brook before he went and slew Goliath. That's because Goliath had four brothers. He may have had five brothers. But anyway, the number of stones he picked up were for Goliath and his brothers, who it is believed he also went and killed. So you got this guy, Goliath of Gath, who is nine feet tall. Many will say, well, he was just a really big guy. It's an exaggeration. He wasn't really a giant. No, the Bible says he was a giant. Look at Numbers 13.33. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So this is when they sent the spies into the promised land to find out what was going on there, because God had commanded the Israelites to go into the promised land and to take it over and to settle there, but they had to drive out the tribes were, that were there. So that they sent these spies in to spy it out and figure out what are we up against. These guys came back and said, the Nephilim are there, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers, and that's what we look like to them. So they're saying these people were absolutely massive that we have to go up against. Elsewhere in that same scripture, it says that they brought back a cluster of grapes from that area, that was so large that two men had to carry it on a stick on their shoulders between them. So there was something very strange about the area that they were going into. But what are they talking about? We saw the Nephilim. What do they mean by the Nephilim? Well, let's use the Bible to interpret this. If we look at Genesis 6-4, it says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Nephilim were a hybrid offspring between fallen, evil, angelic beings and and human women. And this offspring is what became the giants or the Nephilim. Now, that may sound far-fetched. It may sound extreme. It's all through Scripture, and it's mentioned in the New Testament as well. Take that back further. What did God tell Satan in the garden? I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Now, that obviously refers to Christ and to the Antichrist. The seed of the woman is Christ, Satan's seed, the Antichrist. I believe it also refers to the seed, meaning Satan's children, and the seed of the woman, God's chosen ones, children. And I believe that since the beginning of time, and we'll delve into this more as we go forward in this series, I believe that Satan has been trying to corrupt the human genome, the DNA structure of humanity, since that time. Why? Because what does it say we're made in the image of? God. Satan wants to counterfeit God. He wants to be the opposite of God. So if he can corrupt the very seed of who humanity is, he corrupts the godliness, the image that we are created in. And I believe he's been trying to do that since the beginning of time. And I'll I'll be honest with you. That's one of the reasons that I am staunchly against this vaccine thing right now. It has an ingredient in it called Luciferes. Lucifer, keyword. The number 666 are encoded in it, and it alters your DNA structure. It has messenger RNA. The word messenger in Greek is angelos, which means angel. So that alone, maybe I'm being extreme, that's very concerning to me, knowing that Satan has had this obsession since the Garden of Eden to corrupt the seed of man. There's enmity between his seed and the seed of the woman these things become very concerning when you start thinking about them in that context. Am I being overly reactive? Maybe so. But I think these are things as Christians we really have to think of when you think of how strange things have been for the last year and a half, and how they are pushing these things constantly through every possible venue. There's something very bizarre about it. So just just consider that. And we'll get into that more as we go forward in this series, but it's just a point I wanted to bring up. So the Bible clearly teaches that there were, and where it says that that they were in the earth in those days and also afterward, I believe that means pre-flood and after flood. And giants are mentioned before the flood. Also regarding the DNA thing, notice that it says Noah was pure in his generations, why he was chose to go with his family on the ark. His DNA was pure. But it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. I believe that means before the flood and then Satan tries again after the flood. But this is where it gets really interesting regarding giants. The Bible clearly teaches that there were giants in the Levant. The Levant, you could basically consider that to be where the Holy Land is located. Palestine, Jerusalem, Syria, those areas. There were giants in the Levant before and after the flood. But ask yourself this, were or are there giants in other parts of the world? And if so, why have we not heard about them? and been taught about them in history classes. Let's ask this question. Were there giants in North America? See, if if you study some of this stuff from a North American context, you will learn that there are very strange structures and mounds all over North America that cannot be explained. And when you question how these mounds came to be, or how these structures came to exist, the common response from academia is, well, they were they were they were constructed by Native Americans. But when you go ask Native American elders, like a tribal chief, who has had this oral tradition handed down to him through generations of whatever tribe he belongs to, they will almost always say, No, we these were here when we got here. Our tradition teaches that that these mounds or these structures or these these teachings that we have were given to us by another type of entity. Now, if you're familiar with the ancient aliens show, they'll always say, well, aliens came down and that's, that's who put this in place. But what if it was the Nephilim from the Levant, from the Promised Land area, that went throughout the world and created these structures? So you ask yourself, how would they have gone throughout the world? Well, they could have sailed, and that's been proven that that could be done. Another thing that this really addresses is many unbelievers struggle with God because they think God is hateful, because when he told the Israelites to go into the, to Canaan and to subdue the tribes, he said, to drive out the tribes relentlessly. If they won't leave, you slaughter them, man, woman, and child. Why would he be so brutal? If they were half-breeds, Nephilim, he would want them destroyed because they are a DNA corruption and they are not in the image of God. He didn't say, kill them all, drive them out. If he drove them out, wouldn't it make sense that they would have fled and went to other areas? This helps explain a lot of history that makes no sense. So I want you to really, like I said, have an open mind and think about this. I'm gonna share a couple things from, from for you from a book called On the Trail of the Nephilim. It's by a gentleman named L.A. Marzulli. He's been studying these things for years. And what I've got in this book is, I think it's probably got 50 headlines from newspapers from the mid-1800s to the early 1900s. And I want you to listen to these newspaper accounts and just think about, were giants ever in North America? This is from the Helena Independent, Wednesday, October 10th, 1883, Helena, Montana. J.H. Hamley, a well-known and reliable citizen of Bernard, Montana, writes to the Gazette, the particulars of the discovery of a giant skeleton four miles southwest of that place. And he says, a farmer named John W. Hannon found the bones protruding from the bank of a ravine that has been cut by the action of the rains during the past years. Mr. Hannon worked several days, several days in unearthing the skeleton, which proved to be that of a human being whose, whose height was 12 feet. The head through the temples was 11 inches from the lower part of the skull at the back to the top were 15 inches and the circumference 40 inches. The ribs were nearly four feet long and one three-fourths of an inch wide. The thigh bones were 36 inches long and large in proportion." This is from the New York Tribune, February 3rd, 1909. Skeleton 15 feet high, unearthed in Mexico. News was received here Monday from Mexico that at Ixtapalapa, a town 10 miles southeast of Mexico City, there had been discovered what was believed to be the skeleton of a prehistoric giant of extraordinary size. A peon, while excavating for the foundation of a house on the estate of Augustin Juarez, found the skeleton of a human being that is estimated to have been about 15 feet high and who must have lived ages ago, judging from the ossified state of the bones. Uh, This one is from the Washington Herald, May 31st, 1919. Prehistoric giant unearthed. Seymour, Texas, May 30th. Oil drillers claim to have found bones of a prehistoric giant 10 feet high. This is from the Waco Evening News, December 20th, 1893, page (laughs) 6, Skeletons of Giants. While loading a barge with shells a few miles below Orange on the riverbanks, some laborers unearthed 20 human skeletons, and judging by the size of the bones, they were evidently men of giant stature. Some of the bones of the forearms were almost the length, length of a man's entire arm. A small pot and pieces of broken pottery were also unearthed. The laborers claim that there are numbers of skeletons to be found in the shell bank. These bones were found about four feet below the surface. The Vancouver Sun, August 18th, 1922, paid nine, primitive man 10 feet tall is unearthed. Mexico City, August 17th. The Department of Agriculture yesterday received from an agent on Tiburon Island, Gulf of California, the skeleton of a primitive man more than 10 feet tall. It was found a few days ago. Other bones of similar size have been encountered. And the last one, Stark County Democrat, May 18th, 1900, weekly edition, page 7, Uh, And also the same thing in the State Republican, September 10th, 1891, page one. Further investigation of the Sweeney Mounds near Carthage, Carthage, Illinois, resulted in the unearthing of hundreds of human skeletons of giant proportions. That's just a few of the articles that he includes in this book. I've actually heard a gentleman that has spent years collecting these articles, and he has a database of over 700 newspaper accounts of giants in North America that have been uncovered. Now, this will really blow your mind, and I've got to find the documentation for this. It's in my files, and I couldn't find it before I got ready to preach today. And I'll try to find it there. On a couple of these digs, they found giants with artifacts with them, and some of these artifacts had Hebrew writing on them or other writing from the Levant the Promised Land. How did they get in North America? Interesting stuff. Why didn't we learn about it in school? Now, one thing that Elie Marzulli talks about and others that have been studying this for years is the fact that in almost every case where they would find these bones, the authorities that would come in would usually be the Smithsonian Institute. They would take the bones. And they would never be seen again. Now, there's also not far from where I live, I think it's only about a three or four hour drive. There's a place called Lovelock, Nevada. And this is in the same book. There are caves in Lovelock, Love Nevada, where they have found giant skeletons and also in a dry lake bed near there. I didn't realize in Winnemucca, Nevada, not far from there. And anybody that's familiar with the Western United States knows right where Winnemucca is. If you drive from where we are in the Boise area to Reno, Nevada, you pass right through Winnemucca. There's a small museum there, which has the skulls, elongated skulls of giants, but they cannot put them on display because it goes against whatever organization controls what they do. And now I've heard that those skulls have been taken away from there. And I should have found that page in the book. I could have held it up uh, on the screen to show you guys. But folks, I'm not making this up. This is not something that a few newspapers wrote articles about. Like I said, one man has at least 700 newspaper articles talking about this. It's absolutely fascinating. So why do they cover it up? Because if you prove the giants have existed and you prove that they came from the Levant, you are proving biblical narrative and you are disproving evolutionary theory because all of a sudden you've got something existing that evolutionary theory does not take into account. So they have to cover it up in order to continue with academia's overriding agenda of Pushing evolutionary theory in, fight of, in, in, in spite of it being absolutely ridiculous and continuing to crumble under scientific analysis and um, critical critical analysis, it just doesn't hold up. But they continue to believe in it. So anything that comes up that's contrary to that narrative, they simply brush under the rug or hide. So that's just one of the things, and we're going to get more into the topic of giants. Uh, going forward because it's something I've been studying a lot and I'm absolutely fascinated with it. One last point I wanted to make, when I really started waking up, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, uh, someone that I was, whose films really helped me to start questioning what was going on, especially in America and in the world governmental situation uh, was Alex Jones, and when I say that name, I know many cringe and think, "Oh, he's wacko. He's always yelling. He gets, you know, so carried away." And uh, he hasn't done everything perfectly, but I would have to say that Alex Jones and people like him were mostly correct. And I remember watching his movies and thinking, "There's no way that things could be this bad, could be this evil, could be this wrong. There, people could not be doing what he claims they're doing." And I can tell you, over the last few years. I just think, man, people need to pat him on the back because he's stuck with it. He's put information out there that has helped so many people. And now the things that that he said years ago that seems so extreme and so over the top are common knowledge. I mean, it's amazing. You see? It's absolutely amazing. I mean, he was talking about uh, ritualistic child sacrifice, uh, child sex trafficking, that Uh, you know, the the very top of the US and world governments is absolutely entrenched in child sex trafficking. Years ago, and people thought there's no way that could be. And now we know it is true. And it goes even darker than that. So we got to thank people that have had the guts to share truth. Even when it cost them their reputation, many ended up in jail and they've and now they're just being canceled. If you say what people don't like now, you're just canceled. Like I said, I, I pretty much believe that I probably said enough in this video that YouTube will just take it down, but that's okay. There's other platforms now we'll go to. I want to close with these two verses, three verses, because I think this helps us have the mindset that we need into the times we're moving forward into. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Folks, when you see evil carried out by people in positions of power, whether it's the Pope, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Hillary Clinton or all the other, Epstein, we're seeing ephesians 612 carried out on the physical plane it's being influenced by the by the eternal spiritual plane Luke 21 25 through 26 and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and I believe we're starting to see the beginning of that And Mark 13, 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Folks, if you're Christians, you got to make a choice. You're either going to put your head in the sand and think everything's going to be okay, and the Lord's going to come back and take care of you, and you're not going to have to deal with any of this stuff, or you can get excited, and you can educate yourself, and you can try to learn all you can about all these strange happenings and how to look at them as a child of God who stands in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and is protected from evil. Supernaturally, because we abide in him. And I pray that's what you'll do. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity to preach. And Lord, I ask that this message would reach the right ears and the right hearts and that people would be strengthened and edified through it. Lord, we live in crazy times. And these times are a great blessing because they will take our focus off of the insanity of this physical realm and put us into the focus that we should have, which is our focus on you and on Calvary and abiding in you and striving to exist in the spiritual realm, even while we are here physically. Lord, please strengthen us for the coming week. Help us to engage in the battle of the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open doors of opportunity for us to share the gospel with more people, and may your name be praised in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, please consider visiting elephantwalk.net, carrying in every step reflected in the quality of our products and the efforts to combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our our sales help support. Uh, We need your help, and this company helps support the ministry and the work that we're engaged in. Please also consider uh, donating to the ministry directly you can do so by going to the way the letter r122.org we are continuing to move forward with sending teaching materials sermon notes and everything we can to uh pastor patrick's location in nairobi and hopefully i will be going back there before too long so that we can establish even more firmly our bible school there and that bible school will be for children uh, but it will also be for pastors and anyone that just wants to learn the gospel without compromise they are surrounded by false teachings there uh, africa is just being inundated with um False teachings, and we want to be a force that pushes back against that. You can subscribe to the podcast by going to the dot org. Search for the Way Radio in the search field. Uh, please give us a five star rating if you can. I honestly don't follow that stuff much. I don't even know what platforms the podcast is on, but it continues to grow, so the Lord's blessing it. Um, I do know that that you can reach it on. Uh, I forget the name of the service that I used to listen. To uh, Spotify, you should be able to find it. And I believe if you go to like any Google app or any uh, uh, podcast app, you should be able to find it. If you can't find it, just let me know. But you can also listen to it directly at christianpodcastcommunity.org. For the time being, we're on YouTube at the Way Ministry Church. I think I've changed that to the Way R122 Ministry. And you can donate at the Way R122.org. All right. Thank you so much for being here today. We will be back next week same time, same place. If you have any questions, comments, please email me at chad at the way, the letter R122.org. God bless.